Happy Halloween, jerks. Part two. That's next. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL. I hope everybody's doing well tonight. With me is Evil doesn't even need a nickname for this episode, Jimmy. Evil, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. I've got a festive drink locked and loaded here. I watched three amazing films and listened to some awesome music. And boy, this might be as much fun as last year. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Also with us is Rachel Angel with Severed Wings Polio. <laughs> Rachel, how you doing? I'm good. It's a school night and I'm drinking. Let's do this. I know, right? Woohoo. We are not used to this. We're old now. We're not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> is your kid in bed? He is in bed and the fiance is watching him so I can legally have at least Time to rage. a shot of whatever I have. Of course, since it's Halloween, it's her second appearance. She's here to outdo us all one more time. <laughs> it's Rachel Reeves. Rachel, how are you? Hey, I am loving it. It's spooky season. I'm in my element. I love it. I love coming on podcasts like this one and just getting to nerd out with you guys about some <laughs> of the greatest movies ever. So. <laughs> Rachel Reeves, if you do not remember from last year, she is an expert in all things Halloween, all things horror film, all things horror scores. She is a writer on Rue Morgue. Dread Central, The Daily Grindhouse, Valingo, Film Cred, and more. She is the co-host of The Losers Club, which is a Stephen King podcast. How often do you guys release episodes for that? Oh my God, all the time. Thank God there's like 12 of us so we can rotate. So not like one person <laughs> is responsible all the time. They drop anywhere from six to 12 episodes a, a month. Jesus, wow. that's a lot. <laughs> you know, the Patreon stuff. I know, I'm glad I'm not in charge that's of it. Let's dizzying. just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you guys were tweeted once about Stephen King. A few times, he came on the podcast this year. So that's, that was that's huge. Yeah. I was wow. not on that episode, but I'm also kind of glad because like, I don't oh. even know what I would have done. Like, what do you, what do that you do? That's intimidating. Yes. Would that have been the equivalency of when you met Trey Cool? Oh, you know that story. I forgot about that story. No, I didn't really. But yeah, I just <laughs> bawled my eyes out because I couldn't even, I couldn't even process. I was grateful that some of the founders of the Losers Club, you know, were able to do that interview. What was he on to talk about? Everything. Nothing and specifically just he had listened to us a few times i guess and was like yeah, all right they're okay and <laughs> that's yeah, so yeah, that's pretty sweet out, so also the pod in the pendulum which is a horror franchise podcast i haven't heard that one what's the thesis of that pod similarly there's a group of us that do it see that's the way to do it i'm telling you yeah we just work our way through different horror franchises like we just wrapped up texas chainsaw which is a wild ride because that franchise is absolutely bananas <laughs> yes now we're we're going to do a phantasm, which is also equally as bananas, Ooh. but at least there's only yeah. like five of them. So. Oh man, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. You are also amazing at interviewing composers. You have a Dread Central interview. Is it out or is it coming out with Ben Lovett, who did the new Hellraiser music? The new Hellraiser on Hulu. Yeah. Ooh. I'm told it'll be out tomorrow. So by the oh, time awesome. this comes out, it'll be out. So is it dreadcentral.com? Yes. And then you also have an interview through Rue Morgue where you interview 
memoir about the accursed yep. score. Yeah, just did that one. So that should be out next week as well. He also did Willie's Wonderland, which I don't know if you've oh, seen shit. that. Oh, shit, yeah. So he's great, super fun, because he did all the songs in that. Like, all, like he's singing all this silly, like, wow. you know, animatronic songs. So, That's yeah, he's a awesome. lot of fun. Her qualifications, they speak for themselves. That's why she's here. That's why I hope she does it every year with us. What are we doing here tonight? Well, in true verse course verse fashion, it's a Tuesday. I'm not I'm not ready for this. I've had no Red Bulls. I've had no drinks. Um, <laughs> what we did is we picked three scores to talk about. We have a, a little bit of a theme. We kind of try to pick one that's famous. You know, we're talking like top 10, top 20 soundtrack score of all time. We try to pick one that's a little more soundtracky, which funny enough when you're talking Halloween typically goes to metal. Woo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then we try to pick a little bit of a maybe not so much cult, but maybe and should be known about more. These three fit very well. And we had one this time around that came out actually this year. I'll start with you, Rachel Polio. Mm-hmm. Had you seen the movie before we decided to do this? I had seen only one of these movies prior and it's not the one from this year. Gotcha. So. Evil, same question. Same. I actually saved the one from this year on purpose. Me too. Rachel Reeves, same question. This was a first time watch Yay! for me. I, that's huge. That's a big <laughs> deal. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need an excuse to watch something. There's just so much all the time. So yeah. this is perfect. Yeah. We have a lot to get into with all three of these. So before we do that, may I remind you it's a Tuesday. So <laughs> Who knows how exciting this is going to be, but we got to talk about the most important part of the night. What are we drinking tonight? Rachel Reeves, if I remember from last year, you're not a drinker anymore. What do you got there? Oh, getting real wild with a lime and watermelon uh, sparkling water. So watch out. That sounds like a good Tuesday. Rachel, polio. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I have actual alcohol because I have- The guy's watching the kid. I mean, actual alcohol. It's a Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wait, what are you usually drinking? Uh I mean, there's a busted. It's a Starbucks pumpkin spice frappuccino and some fireball. (laughs) You and your fireball lately. (laughs) I know. Is that good? Let's find out. You haven't tried it yet? It's thick. That's what she's. That was good. That was a good choice. The cinnamon and the pumpkin? That's going in the cocktail book. (laughs) Evil. It is. It looks summery. Whoa. Looks thematic. It's called a Jekyll and Gin. I figured that was, you know, kind of thematic here. It's kind of a glorified gin and tonic. It's got some lemon juice and grenadine in it. And apparently, if you have a black light, it will glow white, which I don't. So, well, isn't there an app for that? There's got to be one. Find it. It's pretty tasty. Great audio content. <laughs> Find the black Find light. Find an app. Black light. I am going simple, but it actually worked out. I didn't plan this, but I realized tonight I am leaving town tomorrow, which means I had to take a picture of an album tonight. It was a Foo Fighter album that I had to take a picture of. And so in honor of Dave Grohl, I have Coors Light and Jägermeister. <laughs> Not even thinking about the fact that Jägermeister absolutely is completely fitting for one of these three albums. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that Dave Grohl is actually in one of these, along with the rest of... Spoiler! Spoiler band. alert! Spoiler. David might need to take a drink of this, so... Do it, you'll be more chill fun. Chill out. It's been a long week. It's it's Tuesday. If that's 
That's <laughs> bad. We got to take a break. Rachel R., thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad you're here to help yeah. us. We'll be right back. We are back. We are going to get right into it. Our first score, soundtrack, whatever you want to call it. Why the fuck wasn't Jack Black in this movie? <laughs> Studio 666. <laughs> this movie came out this year. It was directed by BJ McDonald. Looking through his credits, he had done a lot of... Okay, first question for Rachel Reeves. Mm -hmm. A lot of his credits are camera and electrical department credits. Yeah. What is... Camera and electrical department. I mean, that probably means he's worked with the directors in some capacity. So it's like okay. a step below, like assistant director. Mm. They'll set up the lenses. Like there's a lot of different things. I bet he does all of that. Yeah, I'm looking at it too. Yeah, so it says like a camera. So sometimes he'd be gotcha. operating like one of them. He has directed some other things that I'd never heard of. Hatchet 3, mm -hmm. Slayer, The Repentless Killogy. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Reeves, Evil, have either of you seen those? I have not. I mean, I've seen Hatchet, but not Hatchet 3. <laughs> Some horror film nerd you are. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> credited music on this movie. It's kind of an odd one because there's a fucking soundtrack. There's a fucking album and there, there's kind of a score. And mm -hmm. so it's the Foo Fighters. It's John Carpenter. It's his son, Cody Carpenter. It's his, correct me if this is wrong. I think it's his godson, Daniel Davies. Mm -hmm. John Carpenter's godson, and then Roy Mayorga. It was released in February. It made $3 million. I get the feeling that this is definitely more of a tenacious D, culty sort of, it's going to sell well over the next 20 years, I would think. We won't get too much into the movie, uh, except for it's very obviously easy to talk about the music because it's essentially about the Foo Fighters trying to record an album in this new house that is haunted. The house is one that I think Dave Grohl lived in before, or he recorded an album in. Oh. Hmm. It also is adding into the story because the Foo Fighters did Medicine at Midnight last year, and they all did it in one house, which creeped them out. They thought it was haunted. <laughs> and I think that's where Grohl got the idea to even do this. Filming took place in the same house the band recorded Medicine at Midnight. It's recent. It's an obvious pick. I love the John Carpenter theme. It's funny because Dave Grohl was making this movie, one of the roadies or something like that that was helping him out with instruments or, or tech or something of that nature was like, hey, I know John Carpenter. You should just ask him to <laughs> do this score. That's and right. Grohl was like, this is not the, what, that's not going to fucking happen. But he just happened to email him. And John Carpenter was like, actually, my son toured with you guys like an opening band and you were so nice to him. Aww. I'll make your score. I will be in the movie. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. To which girl then in the interview says, seriously, how many times can one guy win the fucking lottery? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to you first, Rachel Reeves. To me, it seems pretty stereotypical horror film soundtracky to me. A couple themes, they stick with it. I do like that they do the kind of far Eastern satanic Eastern guitar. Uh, I think it's an Arhu, an Arhu. Yeah, I want your thoughts. If there was anything real different in this that you noticed to most scores. I don't know. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to this for some reason. 
when it was like <laughs> coming out. There's probably just a lot of other stuff, but I didn't catch that Sean Carpenter was involved. So I was like watching the intro and you hear that first theme. And I was like, oh, mm. somebody's been listening to like modern John Carpenter. And then it like comes up with the credits. And I was like, oh, okay, shit. oh shit. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> I feel like you can tell when John Carpenter was involved with some of the pieces. And then you can also tell when Roy Mayorga is involved with the other parts of the score. No offense, yeah. Roy, but <laughs> I feel like, you know, John has a very signature sound and doesn't really deviate mm -hmm. from that a whole lot. You know, he does what he does. He does it really well. And then the rest of the time, it really plays into a lot of very traditional like horror film score tropes, which mm -hmm. is actually pretty fun because I think the whole film does that. Like there's so many little nods to like, oh, this is from The Burning. Oh, this is from Evil Dead. Oh, they took yeah. that from this. Yeah. They took that from this. So it makes sense because you're hearing little snippets of, okay, that's a Bernard Herrmann inspired cue. And like, mm -hmm. oh, that's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm not sure <laughs> how like original it is oh, for that all. reason. <laughs> it's no, yeah. not. So it's one of those film scores where it's like totally a lot of fun. I'm not sure how often I'm going to be like, you know, spinning it just because yeah. it's like, I'd rather just listen to a John Carpenter album. <laughs> well, it's also, it's all the main characters, which are in it a lot, is a fucking band mm -hmm. who are not good actors. No. At all. No. So it, it is really funny. Like you could tell, all right, Dave Grohl is clearly the front man, but he's clearly the one who takes the lead and press and like everything because he right. is a little bit more capable than some yeah. of these other guys. It's, yes. It's cute, but it's cute. I don't know. <laughs> no, there was there, you know, they very purposely had like Pat smear in the little nightgown cap thing. The whole fucking <laughs> movie. I love that so much. He was my favorite in the whole thing. <laughs> He's so tongue in cheek and so very Pat Smear. Did you like the movie Evil? I loved it. Did you? It's kitschy fun. That's yeah. what it is. I'll watch it again. It's so bad in some ways that it makes it better. They are. They're so wooden in their performances in places that it's yeah. just like, oh, you guys didn't try. <laughs> yeah. But it makes it, that made it, it made it better for me that if it was like really well acted, I'd be like, why aren't these guys making movies instead of music? You know? Yeah. I loved the movie. I thought it was really, really well done. I thought the production on it was great. They shot it in three weeks. Is that right? Like, yeah. They got done with medicine quick, yeah. midnight and then like a yeah. week later they pumped this out. Obviously the acting is going to be horrible in it. Right. <laughs> So there's this there's this Woody Allen movie called Melinda and Melinda. And these at the beginning of the movie, these guys are talking to the table and half of them are like, oh, this lady crashes a, a dinner party. And somebody goes, oh, that'd make a great comedy. And somebody else said, oh, that no, no, that'd be a great drama. And I feel like this movie could go either way. If you just take the Foo Fighters out of it, it would actually be a very good horror movie. And instead, mm. it's a comedy horror movie because yeah. they can't act. Yes. But there's nothing about it like it didn't seem cheesy outside of the acting. There's some great practical effects in this. Mm. The gore scenes in this. Yeah. Like, oh, part where they're shit. on the like, somebody grill delivered. and the dude's <laughs> like stretching off the grill. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Holy to the shit. grill. That was great. Pretty the chainsaw through the bed was <laughs> That was fabulous. Hilarious. Yeah. I saw That's, somebody review it, it and say the chainsaw was used better here than it was in like any Texas chainsaw movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the middle of typing out while I was watching the movie and taking notes. This might be 
the most uncomfortable sex scene I've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) until it's so dumb and I don't know why, but I thought that the sex was going to be coinciding with a murder Dave Grohl was going to be doing Mm -hmm. like in the other house. I didn't realize that he was going to be murdering them. So I was like, this is so fucking uncomfortable. It was like, a, oh, now I get it. This is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Set to The Lumberjack Jackal. by Jackal. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so amazing. So the actual soundtrack soundtrack, which really surprised me because Rachel Reeves, you probably don't know this, but as a podcast, we do these quick fire reviews where we review new albums. And one of the albums we've reviewed was the Dream Widow album. <laughs> The fucking album Dave Grohl came out with this because I thought that was going to be the soundtrack to this. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the movie started playing that I was like, wait, that sounds like something else. And then I would look at at the notes. I'd be like, that's fucking Gojira. What is going on? So if I remember correctly, that the album, the Dream Widow album came out after the movie premiered. And it was sort of like a surprise. We recorded this. Mm, I guess yeah. I remember being super excited about the music because I had no clue it was going to come out. I knew about the movie, but I didn't realize there was an actual album about the music that they were making. Kudos to them for keeping that secret. There's just, this story is just full of holes though. Because <laughs> in the movie, Dream Widow is the original band that, right. the original guy that murders his band. But now this album is Dream Widow, but this album is Dave Grohl. It's very disappointing. It's just, it's funny to me because, so this was filmed in the pandemic, right? These guys can't sit still, I feel like. And so yeah. it's like, they're like, well, <laughs> shit, we can't tour. Like, we're, the album's already done. Like, what do we do? And Dave's like, to make a fucking movie. Yeah. And like, who says no to them? You know, they know so many people. Sure, I don't know. Let's throw some money at it, see what happens. So it's just, I love that. The fact that they just had nothing better to do, I guess. So let's just make a movie. And yeah, like, they're just... Sure. Yeah, Pearl Jam high five. <laughs> that was great. The Pearl Jam high fives. The first Some Pearl Jam high five. Man. Doesn't oh. he say Jeremy's? Jeremy. Jeremy's spoken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As our resident metalhead, and actually maybe Rachel, don't you listen to a lot of metal? I love metal. I oh. Fuck! You really need to put a last name on things. Sometimes it seems pretty obvious, though. <laughs> I thought you were being I mean, funny. I don't know about a lot. Here and there. So I'll ask Evil and maybe everyone else on this, but Evil, as our resident metalhead, do you think metalheads are angry or are they okay with the fact that Dave Grohl came out with the best metal album this year? (laughs) It sounds like sleep. (laughs) It sounds like everything. Yeah. If you listen to the actual album, there's, it's all over the place. The stuff on in the movies definitely. Oh yeah. Sorry. I'm talking about the dream widow. The album. Okay. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's It's so good. It's the best Foo Fighter album of the last like five years. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Metal bands need to try harder because if Dave Grohl can just fuck around and be like, shifty's done and then record that, then not fair. You can't, I don't, feel like you can compare anybody to Dave Grohl like he is like an anomaly as far as like what he's capable of the fact that he's not an asshole that he's so talented in so many ways he's just one of those people like you can't really compare yeah. him to anybody that's true that's yeah. impossible standards don't feel bad metalheads you do you <laughs> it's fucking crazy that he did that i mean not he didn't do the whole album himself rami helped him with the keyboards and then who helped him produce it but 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 james rota but that dream little album is fucking dave Grohl. it's all dave Grohl. yeah 
It's insane to me. And that's... He's okay at music. He's all right. (laughs) That's kind of my takeaway for this movie score, though, is I wasn't disappointed. Like I said, I love the John Carpenter's opening. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. it. It's so good. I think it's disappointing to me that by far the best part of the music of this was the album that was done after. Mm. That's my thought on it. What did you think of just the music, Rachel P? I liked that there was more variety in it than on the album that they made. Because again, I I also thought the Dream Mm -hmm. Widow album was the soundtrack for this movie and was a little surprised when it was not. I do like, why is my John Carpenter? I was thinking John Williams. That's not right at all. John Carpenter, very close. I love that John Carpenter, it was him, but it was a a reinvented newer version of him. So it's still, you could kind of tell it was him, but it was an updated version of it. I thought music was great. I thought it was perfect horror movie, but in a good 2022 way. John Mm -hmm. does most of his music now with his son, right? Yeah. And Davies. So how much, how often do they still do scores? Well, they just did all three of the new Halloween movies. He's been cranking them out for yeah five years longer yeah so the halloweens that just came out halloween kills halloween ends and then the 2018 halloween he's been touring a lot with his son because they did they like have released several albums lost themes and re-recorded versions different versions so they've been they've been touring he's been out there it's pretty wild (laughs) i think that's really cool it is cool and like he talks really openly about because he's never been the greatest musician (laughs) but his son is really talented and davies is really talented so they kind of support him and prop him out but like (laughs) the fact that he you know he's like 70 something and he gets to tour around with his son and just like make these albums like it's so sweet so and he's a guy that doesn't ever do anything he doesn't want to i don't know if you guys ever see interviews with him but if somebody asks him a question that he doesn't want to answer he'll just be like fuck off like he's like holds nothing Yikes. back and it's kind of scary i think that just speaks to dave and everybody here the fact that he did do this because he doesn't do mm-hmm. stuff like this lightly he's all about a check but he's also doesn't need the money necessarily so he's not gonna like <laughs> yeah no he doesn't it's a bunch of fucking dave Grohl. it's a bu- <laughs> it's a bunch of metal and It's pretty much exactly what you think you're going to get. Evil. I imagine that this movie is a massive two thumbs up for you. Oh, I really enjoyed it. It it for sure is, I don't want to say generic, but it's, it's definitely produced very well, but it's not covering any new ground in terms of movies or music, but it was, it was fun. It was meant to be a fun thing. I have to say the one thing that bugged me about it, and this is just, I'll just have to get over this was Taylor Hawkins' death scene. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I didn't really even... bothered me. Mm-hmm. Sad. <laughs> and I was, I sat with that for a little bit. I'm like, no, man, I have to enjoy this because that was the spirit in which this movie was made. So I, I had to like pause it for a little bit and then center myself and then go back in with the right attitude. And after that, it was fine. But other than that, like I said, it's didn't break any new ground, but it's definitely fun. I thought Grohl's performance was amazing. Shifty's done. That that line, I mean, some of his lines killed me. Like groupies are people too. You know, it's so funny and so well done. I love when they're going when the guys are reading through the how can you tell that somebody is possessed? Yeah. He's like vomiting. He's, that the oatmeal throw. Oh, That's so good. There were a couple of laugh out loud parts for me there. Yeah. Um and you're it, right though. Yeah. They, I caught myself 
mm-hmm. a few times being disturbed by the Taylor Hawkins stuff. A little bit. Even some of the real conversations that he and Dave were having, yep. there was something fucking dark about and, it. And I've noticed that it hasn't really been promoted leading up into, into like the Halloween season, which I would think it would have been. And I wonder if that's just kind of out of respect this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's probably all still reeling from from dealing with that as a band so well i hope so i yeah. would think so rachel p mm-hmm. same question final thoughts on studio 666 i just loved it so much <laughs> i thought it was so great i have one last thing to add fine in the credits steve Vai was credited as stunt guitar i didn't even bet. yeah so when dave grohl's like doing his fucking yep. licks because uh, i knew mine. right away i was like that's not grohl mm-hmm. like, yep, there's no way so like who the fuck is that add him to the list of people who love girl yeah fucking steve vi (laughs) rachel reeves final thoughts on the first Mm -hmm. time this is exciting super scary movie person first time watching what'd you think (laughs) this is the best horror movie starring the food fighters (laughs) hands down hands down no question and also, like, I didn't love, you know, Mr. Mayorga's score. But at the same time, I do love that he's a drummer. Mm. Uh, I guess he plays drums in Hell Yeah and Stone Sour and Ministry. Stone and so Sour. I admire a drummer who's able to play mm-hmm. more than just drums and, like, compose, you know, a score. Even if it wasn't, you know, anything mind-blowing. Like, Hell Yeah, good job. I mean, literally, he's in Hell Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it, it was okay. It was kind of... I don't know that I'd watch it again. Some of the jokes were really funny, but uh, man, that fucking Dream Widow album, man, that thing, I love that album. I love it. That's our first score, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I guess we'll just dive right into the next one. Well, remember those instructional foreign language videos from high school that were wildly outdated? <laughs> they gave those actors a script when they were done with that job, and they shot this film later that afternoon. <laughs> Demons, 1985. Oh, my God. Demons is a 1985 horror film directed by Lamberto Bava, produced by Dario Argento, shot in Berlin and Rome in nine weeks. story follows multiple groups of young people who are given a mysterious invitation to a movie. Before the movie begins, one of those invited to the showing tries on a mask and cuts herself. While the movie plays, we find out that mask turns people who put it on into demons. The hooker who tried on the mask in the lobby quickly turns into a demon, scratches others with her... Yeah. You say hooker? She was a hooker? hooker? Yep. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Scratches others with her stabbing nails though by turning... I forgot that it was the 80s (laughs) and the the guy was black, so he was automatically a pimp. Obviously. Tony. Yes. Therefore, turning them into demons, chaos ensues, and we learn to never accept pamphlets from strangers on the subway. I had to do some math, some 1985 lira to American dollar math. <laughs> um, so it made about 700K in 1985 which translates to 1.9 million 2022 money but also that was just in italy also it made more in italy that year than nightmare on elm street made and it was also called an unintentional comedy which i agree with (laughs) that's what i got let's talk you said who did the score right did i say who? because that's why we're here (laughs) i I hope so i did (laughs) 
I'm sweaty all of a sudden. <laughs> this is a music podcast. I got I got you, Rachel, if you didn't. <laughs> Claudio Simonetti, music by. Ayo. <laughs> the, the Brazilian himself, Rachel Reeves. I imagine you know a lot about. He does have a t-shirt. Yeah. Claudio, and not only Claudio, but I think you even mentioned Dario a couple times in the first time that we did our Halloween episode. So you're also wearing the fucking t-shirt. So <laughs> what is it about this score that makes it so amazing to you? Okay, so Claudio... Simonetti is he was in Goblin fuck yeah has just an incredible amount of really cool scores I mean the score is just so fun it's just groovy and it matches the tone of the film so perfectly like this is one of those movies that I watch and I'm like this was made just for me. <laughs> like, I mean, the opening scene, right? You've got like the subway and you've got that amazing theme playing. And then there's like these yeah. new wave, like punk kids on the subway and everything. It's just so perfect and so funny. And I love that so much. But I also think that there's some depth to the score. Claudio Simonetti is a very talented musician. There's a lot of like atmosphere and variety mixed in there. Mm -hmm. So even though it's cheesy synth score, it's actually good and it's aged pretty well I think based on some of the equipment that he was using so it doesn't sound dated in a bad way it like sounds dated in like a Depeche mode like a good way like oh yeah I love yes. this sound versus like oh this sounds so cheap and stupid I totally agree and actually I think I'm gonna make a couple enemies here. I didn't love the movie. And I think it's because I'm this is the first time I've You seen made one it. enemy. <laughs> I know. Leave me there. <laughs> I know. I was expecting a lot and I was I think I was expecting something different because mm. of another movie that I feel like Argento is associated with that I want to talk about next year. Anyway, I think I was expecting a little bit too much. Yes, yeah, so this is Lamberto Bava, which is Mario Bava's son. And Mario Bava... That's what I'm thinking. Of. Oh. So Mario Bava, extremely talented, amazing filmmaker, more like, if you're thinking like Argento, he's kind of up there. He did Blood on Black Lace yes. and Black Sunday, Black Sabbath, Kill Baby Kill, like Bay of Blood, which are all amazing and really beautiful films. And Lamberto is his son. That's why I think it looks good. But the guy who, uh, okay. the guy who plays the Phantom guy the terminator guy that is also his name's M michelle suave he's also a film director so it's kind of like a who's who of italian cinema in this so it's kind of funny because it kind of actually is a perfect match for studio 666 because it's one of those things where it's like you're seeing these people and you're like oh that's that guy oh it's that guy like oh how did they get him in this so actually it is a really perfect pairing i didn't actually think about that till just now but anyway that was all me <laughs> um but the reason that i said that is to set myself up for, I could easily turn the soundtrack onto this and I fucking love it. I love this <laughs> score so much. It's so good. It's all the stuff that all the new age, not so much it follows, but what the drive people turned all emo-y and synthy, which I love, don't get me wrong. But every part of this score and soundtrack was so amazingly, everything good about 80s music. And that's not even touching on the soundtrack soundtrack, Evil. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now's, I'm so glad I found this. Now's your time to mm -hmm. shine. How amazing <laughs> is, is the music, all of it. Yes. 
the score, what we were talking about is, I'm gonna agree with Rachel Reeves here, it has aged incredibly well. And what it sounds like to me is like more modern electronic music that's influenced from that era, but if you played it through a boom box off of a cassette tape. So it's got <laughs> it's got like the modern feel of mm-hmm. like the retro vibe, but like the production quality of back then. So it's it's this weird timeless ethereal feel to it i can't help but get that main groove of the the intro track out of my head it's has stuck with me so much it's one of my favorite finds this year and then the music oh my god motley Crue, (laughs) except saxon along with billy idol go west holy (laughs) 80s love here man i rick springfield (laughs) rick springfield rick springfield pretty maids so good i don't know how you guys consumed this but i found a version on YouTube, which was super blurry and had mm. Spanish subtitles. It was just added to the whole experience. <laughs> I fucking loved it. This was amazing. Was this originally shot in Italian and then dubbed over? Yeah. I, so I watched this weeks ago, so I'm the, I don't remember that well. It's dubbed, but they're speaking English. Okay. So, like... Not all of it but, tracked, though, because some of it did yeah, look right. like it was English, and then some of it... I think some of the actors were better <laughs> English yeah. speakers than others. Yeah. So it, it's it's adr It's all dubbed afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just wish they would have spoken Italian, and then I could read some subtitles, because... That, exactly. It made it unintentionally comedic, because it made me laugh that it was dubbed so badly. And I feel like they didn't mean for it to be funny because voice actors. No, I completely agree. I kind of was wishing I could find an Italian version, especially there were a couple parts where the movie within the movie, some of the lines <laughs> of the movie within the movie was pretty hilarious. Like, it yeah, was like, absolutely. Are you sure that that's what you meant to say on that one? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, it was funny. so over the top good. James. <laughs> you need to watch it with Spanish subtitles. I'm telling you right now, it is a life changing experience. No if I watched it on mute with Spanish subtitles, it might be better. Dios es terrible. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. It's like so good. So good. I don't think I realized how much there was in the horror films, the Italian ones, there was score and soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It, was that pretty common in the all the 80s? Or are we just happening to pick all these movies that are like <laughs> fucking trick or treat? And, and Yes and no. I think it was much more prevalent in the United States. And I think that at this time, these films were getting wider distribution just because of the natural evolution of VHS and technology. So they were coming over here. It was around this time that some of these Italian films were going that direction. So like Dario Argento did a film in 1985 called Phenomena, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Creepers, depending on where it was released, starring Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. <laughs> it's very similar in that way. Like the soundtrack is a mix of Goblin doing the soundtrack, but it's also got like Iron Maiden and Motorhead. And I'm going to be honest. 
demons pulls it off better. It's really funny and jarring and phenomena. Like you should probably, I mean, evil should probably definitely watch it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm, I'm taking notes here. I'm like, I mean, there's, there's literally Jennifer Connelly, like talks to bugs and there's Donald Pleasance from Halloween's in it. And there's a monkey that kills people. Like it's insane. I was sold like five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) This was like the beginning of that trend where they're like, Oh, this is what they're doing. You know, and you think about all the other movies, even outside of horror that were doing this, right? You think of like John John Hughes films and, you know, comedies. So I think this was just Mm -hmm. them trying to ride that trend and licensing some of that music, which I'm sure they got for a decent price to use in Italy. So (laughs) Argento, he did not saying that it was bad, but he chased the money for a while there, didn't he? Yeah. 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 (laughs) He chased the money and like he had a lot of success and, you know, his career is one of diminishing returns. (laughs) I still like it. I mean, he had a movie come out this year. So like he's still out there. He's still doing it. I'm glad that I listened to this soundtrack because one of my favorite current scores, current God, how long ago it was now. But I don't remember when the social network score came out. That's Mm -hmm. that's Uh, been a bit but longer than it feels like. That fucking version of the Hall of the Mountain King that mm-hmm. Reznor does, it sounds a lot like, I don't remember which one, but one of those, the opening it's the opening the one. It's fucking, I think that this score influenced a lot of fucking people which is awesome because i had no idea i did not know that this was a well, thing yeah when we were like tossing around movie ideas for this and we got a list from you rachel reeves i just was like listening to music and trailers and i found this and i'm like we're this we have to do this it's so good <laughs> and it's that opening track is what it is yeah. oh my god it's brilliant it, it's like such an earworm so claudio simonetti too outside of goblin like he did a lot of songwriting just for like dance songs. He reminds me of Giorgio Moroder a lot in that way. Like mm. he was he was producing tracks. He was working with other really talented people. So even when he wasn't scoring films and Goblin was a band that put out stuff. They were just a band yeah. that happened to get into scoring. Like so they were releasing their own albums on the side anyways. So he's somebody who understands like song structure and making it catchy. And so I think you really mm. see mm-hmm those skills combine here in a way like he knew that he could have fun with this i mean look at those punks they're literally snorting coke out of a coke can <laughs> like it's the best it's the best scene that bothered me I, so like, much i was like screaming the first time oh. i saw it. i was just like i don't know what this is and it's just amazing oh my like, god and there the, like, the the voice dubs for those characters <laughs> yeah. is so yeah. over the top amazingly bad and good <laughs> do you guys know that there's a group called art of noise uh, i always wonder if claudio simonetti was like tuned into that because this sounds very like art of noise-ish to me that avant-garde like synth pop stuff that they were doing all these people influenced by all these different things somehow simonetti was able to pull it off and put his own little italian flavor on it so yeah it's perfect it's kind of an interesting evolution in his catalog if you look back at it just because 
Goblin was really like funky and proggy. And something I love about him is his willingness to evolve mm. and embrace new technologies and not like get stuck in his 70s old man ways. I'm like, no, this yeah. is this is real music throughout his entire career. I mean, he's still touring. You can hear demons played live. I'm sure if you ever want to. I might have to. <laughs> so my final thoughts on the score for demons is that it's fucking amazing. And I'd seriously, I love scores, but for being a little more of a, it's a little more poppy mm -hmm. and for being a yeah. little more poppy of a score and to still love it that much. I think it's pretty fucking cool. I'm just going to say the influence of this film, like <laughs> you cannot be under. Okay. Have you guys seen scream too? When like Jada Pinkett Smith gets killed in the opening scene, like right. in front of the movie theater, direct yeah. call back to this. Oh, you're <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> this was so much fun. Can we, it's, it's brilliant. Can we just talk about... Oh, I don't know. The Red Foreman slash Clint Eastwood character sitting up front with his wife. That guy was amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the American? Yeah. The, the, the American. dude who just shows up and whisks the daughter away from the blind guy to, you know, go make out with her and then drops from the ceiling with the oh, red yarn. Yeah. Come on, man. Brilliant. Look at her back. Look at her back. No, yeah. Like Tony. Tony's my man. And who would have predicted George to be the hero? George fucked some shit up at the end. He like killed all of them, man. Final boy. What? Very rare. Right. To have a final boy. Yes. Yeah. Misdirection there. So. I love this movie. It was amazing. The soundtrack, <laughs> great. Earwormy. I loved all of the bands included. So soundtrack versus score. Score amazing. Soundtrack amazing. Movie so incredibly awesomely bad that I loved it. <laughs> Fucking loved it. Watch it with Spanish subtitles. Life changing. <laughs> I can't leave without just mentioning some things. There's a motorcycle ninja sword. Fuck yeah, there's there is. a helicopter right. that falls from the ceiling. Fuck yeah, there is. That they try to start back yeah. up again. It's just, what is happening? Like, I don't, but I don't care because it's so perfect. There's so many babes in this movie, too. Maybe their acting is not great, but this is a pretty attractive cast. I'm just going to say. Totally have like, shit overall. popping out of their neck. Yep. The practical effects on this are pretty incredible. And like, they're very clever about doing as much as they could with a little. You know, the, when, the, when the teeth were coming out, I'm like, oh my yeah. God. For, oh, for an I 80s, love that 80s one. movie in Italy, that is like. I was amazed. Like, how did they pull that off and make it actually look the way it did? That's where you get some of this Argento influence. The fact that it was a lot of his team. Demons 2 is also equally as incredible. It takes place in an apartment complex, like a high rise, like Poltergeist 2 style. And um, if you missed some of the actors, if you're like, I really wish I could see Tony in more things. Well, don't worry. <laughs> He's in Demons 2 as a different character. So you get to see him again. He's also great because he's a personal trainer in that movie. So it's, it's amazing. Right up evils out. Everything. Amazing. It's just amazing. And a great soundtrack. A soundtrack that's got like the Smiths, the Cure, the Cult. Oh my like, God. God. Equally amazing. This franchise is incredible. <laughs> That's that is it for demons. We are gonna take a break now. We will be right back. We are back. Let's go to the big one, Evil. Oh my god. That's what she said. 
<laughs> released on October 24th, 1978. Written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Directed by John Carpenter. Produced, I'm, I think I'm feeling that Jekyll and Jen a little bit. Oh my God. Hey uh, produced by, by Deborah Hill. This is Halloween. It was an independent release grossed somewhere north of $70 million at the box office, making it one of the most successful independent films of all time. Mm. Launching a franchise that includes 13 films, novels, video games, comic book series, stars Jamie Lee Curtis in her debut as Laurie Strode, Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis, and Nick Castle as Mike Myers. Michael Myers, not to be confused with, hello baby, Michael Myers. Or Mike Myers. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? What's Hello? Was Hello Baby Is that awesome? Your Mike Myers Myers? impression. Yeah. Do you do you find me sexy? I don't. I'm gonna stop now. It's closer. You're uh, getting there. Credited as the shape in the original release, which was really interesting to me. The the adult version of Michael Myers credited as the shape. It was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960. Bob Clark's Black Christmas from 1974 and helped launch the entire slasher genre of films. That's not even talking about the music, folks. Trick or treat, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I love the story of basically they went to Mustafa saying that they wanted to do the film. And he was like, how much? He was like, 300,000, but I want complete creative control. And they were like, fucking 300,000 done. Fucking go do it. That's amazing. Do it. Knock yourself out. Yeah. And it's just this fucking ragtag of young people going out and making a fucking movie for $300,000. The score also done by John Carpenter, the story that you'll hear many, many times about, like Rachel Reeves already said, he wasn't a real musician, musician. He didn't know how to write notes he wasn't going to write some symphony or anything like that and they didn't have the budget for it anyway so he took his dad was a musician and growing up he had bongos that he would make him do five four rudiments on and that's where the whole five four creepy mm -hmm. piano thing came from because john was like well i can do this on a synth <laughs> which that's understating it because john did this whole thing in like three days and it's it's fucking awesome. You have to be good with music to be able to do the shit that he's doing in this. Rachel Reeves, what is it about the Halloween score that makes it? I think most people would say as far as infamy, it's top five scores of all time. It's interesting because it is. I mean, it's up there with Psycho and Jaws. Like it's one of the most influential, definitely horror scores of all time. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, it's because it was like a big synth score. Well, yeah, but also there, I mean, there were other yeah. synth scores that preceded this. Don Peak did The Hills Have Eyes the year before, and there were tons of sci-fi stuff that was coming out that had a lot of electronic elements. So it wasn't necessarily that, but I think it was the minimalism and the way that it paired mm. with the film so perfectly, which is even more interesting because when he scored this, like now they do like scoring to picture, yeah. see the scene and they're like, okay, I can write it to this and really feel it. But he couldn't do that. The technology just wasn't there. It would take too much time. He did it himself, he always says, because he was cheap and fast. Yeah. But who knows the film better than him, right? He knows the film in and out, which is just wild because I just imagine him like sitting there and he's just like playing through the scenes in his head. Yeah. Is how I think it like has to work. <laughs> and he had good friends. Like his friend Dan Wyman was, I think he was a teacher and an electronic kind of early adopter to this technology. So he called him up and was like, can I come and show me 
some scents and can I use them for a few days? And he was like, yeah, sure. So he knew the right people who had this equipment that he could mess around on, which I think is pretty incredible. That is cool. Rachel P., yeah. I'm assuming that this was the one that you had already seen. This one I had seen for the first time last year, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, outside of Jaws was three years before this, it kind of set the standard, I think, for horror films in what creepy sounded like. Having it in 5-4 time makes it a little chaotic in your brain mm -hmm. and makes it a little bit harder to focus. Because as I was listening to it, obviously I've heard the tune before, it, it's everywhere, but it makes it harder to concentrate on what's going on because the music is not in a regular time signature that your brain is used to. I don't know how Rachel used saying that he didn't write it as he was watching it. It's incredible. It matches so perfectly with the film. It does such a good job with the things like, and not that this is anything new to horror, but the synth parts that he chooses mm. when the girl's in the car and it's completely dead silent mm -hmm. and, and she's swiping at the thing, wondering why there's so much condensation. And all of a sudden there's that right. big fucking synth blast. The things that he chooses are so simple, but they're so good. Evil, this was your pick. Well, yeah. We mentioned that there's <laughs> three. There's Psycho, Jaws, and this. They're the big three, really. Yeah. And, right. I mean, I'm old enough to where that little piano theme, it still sends chills up my back because I remember being a little kid fucking scared to death of this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, I love it now, but the dissonance of it, the way that the pitch shift is, shifts just slightly and the key changes just slightly at just the right time. The first jump scare for me is when he's like crawling over the hood of the car. Oh, and yeah. Like, and and I, I've seen this movie multiple times. Uh, I haven't watched it in maybe five years or more. That scene to me still got me. It's still just like the chills, man. Yes. All through the film, the intro scene where he watches them go upstairs and the light comes on and there's like this little synth thing that happens. It still gets yeah. me. The genius involved in him being able to do this, I didn't realize that the technological disadvantage he was working with at the time until Rachel Reeves just brought it up. That makes it even more impressive to me. I read a great quote that John Williams said, or John Williams, John Carpenter said, <laughs> I blame you, Rachel P., on that one. Sorry. He's like, I can play any piano, but I can't read any music. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> And yet here we are talking about this. This is like the granddaddy of slasher films. Yeah. For how much time he didn't have to do this and what the fucking budget was, yep. which was absolutely nothing. It's insane. I love that you mentioned, because that's one of the big things that stood out for me while I was actually studying for the score was the dissonant notes, mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. long he holds. It reminded me of... Ugh. The early like clockwork orangey stuff where you will hear a note yeah. for like fucking three minutes and you're like, yeah. what? it's so fucking jarring. I, I just love that. I love the simplicity of the whole thing. Yeah. Talk about influential scores. Just throwing this out there. The Shining and <laughs> Wendy Carlos. That's also, I think, up there. Fuck The Shining. We gotta do The Shining. Yeah, just. Um, 
<laughs> I think when you're thinking about this as a slasher too, it's pretty interesting. I think Jaws set the stage for the slasher sound in a big way. I do think that there was like, you can trace it back a little bit further. Peeping Tom in the 60s used the idea of like every time the killer was gonna, you know, go kill somebody, there was like this camera whirring sound and that's how you knew that, oh shit, okay, like mm -hmm. somebody's gonna die. Some of the sonic cues, and I think you really see it in Friday the 13th, the ch 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 uh, ah, like that uh, thing. And then uh, Deep Red, which is an Argento film. Argento. They, there's, yeah, there's like a music box that plays. And so it's like this cue that lets you know that the killer's here. Okay, you've got this guy in this mask, right? He's the presence, but he doesn't say anything. And his body language is pretty controlled and limited. You can't read his face and there's no facial movements there. So there's nothing to kind of go off of. So the music really has to support that and really yeah. amplify it and make it scary. Because otherwise it's just like, what's up? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what are you doing? You're just standing behind a bush. Like, okay, cool. And you guys have been talking about the dissonance and that, that rhythm, which is really unsettling, which is, I think, a hundred percent on point. So that dissonance, it's a tritone that he uses a lot, which is... Yep you know, otherwise known as like the devil's interval and was like outlawed and in religious music for a long time at one period of time. And that's just because it doesn't lead up and it doesn't lead down. Yeah. Mentally, you said you just don't know what to do with that. It keeps and you so uncomfortable. That's, yeah. So that's what makes it mm. feel unsettled because it literally is like it's sonically unsettled. Like it doesn't go anywhere. And then the way John Carpenter uses it, like it's very specifically so that when you see him, you hear those things when there's an action sequence like it's accompanied so it really becomes part of his personality and carpenter even said that he had shown it to i don't remember who he said he had shown it to a couple people that were working for him on other things before the music and they're like this isn't scary yeah it was the same thing with friday the 13th too they saw it tested horribly because it didn't have a score and then they added the score and they're like oh this rip so it's, it's just like it's really funny like <laughs> how much weight that carries i'm just picturing the scene where he's standing next to that hedgerow and then he, yeah. like, he like swivels back into it without a score i'd be like what the fuck but you, you add <laughs> the sounds <laughs> that's one of the creepiest fucking things i remember that from my childhood it haunts me mm -hmm. and yeah. i think the music behind it is is what drove that well and then you can they can use it against you because once you've made that association mm -hmm. it's kind of like a yeah. radar exactly and then like like, yep. even if he's not even in a scene, you I always say it's like you're searching the shadows. You're like, where the fuck is he? Yeah. Like, you're looking for him. And it's the music that's triggering mm. that to be like, he's here. And whether or not he's actually there, you know, that's up to the filmmaker. Oh God, I yes. just, I think it's just, it's so cool. And it's just like such a simple, that's the brilliance of it, I think. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I like movies like I gear a lot more towards the suspense jump scare stuff than I do the gore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One scene where the girl's on the phone and she's walking back and forth and you see Michael Myers mm. in the back mm -hmm. and then he's gone. They do such good things with the musical cues on those sort of things that just like you said, then when there's nothing going on, and it's just like two people making out on a couch or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, where is he? He's outside the window. He's The use of silence to build that tension, it took me back to when we were talking about Psycho last yeah. year. I, I remember right. watching it being struck by how well the use of no score in the movie was as good and really 
added to when there was actual score playing. I think that plays here just as well because when it's silent and it's a certain scene, you're like, oh, fuck, just play yeah. something. Like, <laughs> like take, take that tension away and you're waiting for it. It reminds me of like Office Space when he's going to touch the oh, door handle. You know he's, he he's, he's going to get shocked. shocked. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. And I think that part of the reason why, it, well, the film was really successful, obviously, and then... Did okay. It did okay, I guess. <laughs> and I think that, you know, you saw all these like knockoffs coming off for better or worse, like some of them are great. But the fact that it was, a synth score it was so cheap you don't have to hire a whole mm-hmm. orchestra I was actually thinking about that and it's the same with Psycho because it's a not that it's not influential because the people doing it are brilliant the circumstance is mm-hmm. what led to it being influential mm-hmm. yeah it was because they didn't have a choice they didn't have the time they didn't have the money so it's not like they were like well, this is how I'm going to do it this time. I'm giving myself three days and I will not spend a penny over the, like, yeah. no, they didn't have a fucking choice. <laughs> right. He didn't have and a so- choice. And I, I will say John Carpenter is like a very avid film fan. He just loves film and he's very open about that. And he's talked about the fact that he loved the movie Forbidden Planet, which had the very first all electronic score, which was mostly composed by women. I'm just going to say that. BB Baron. So it's like these little nuggets that are in his head that he, you know, he's seen all these films and these sci-fi films that have been using this sound. And he's like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I'll just do that. Rachel Reeves, for you as the resident horror film connoisseur, Mm -hmm. where does this rank in the pantheon for you, the film Halloween in general, where would you rank this in your favorite horror films of all time? Oh, I mean, it's up there. I I do love it. It's a classic. I feel like sometimes those films that have just kind of been in your life forever, Mm. there's always that nostalgia. I didn't rewatch it for this podcast because it's one of those things where it's like, I don't need need to. to. (laughs) Like I've seen it a million times. (laughs) I watched Halloween Kills the other day for the first time, but that's a different conversation. For a different po- uh, different podcast, but um, you don't seem very happy when you're. It was fine. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. But, but I mean, it is funny that there's literally this week there's a, a new, new Halloween. Halloween film that just came out starring right. Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, is there anything that is more seventies than Jamie Lee Curtis? smoking a joint and listening to don't fear the reaper while driving down the street because that happens in this movie he's an odd duck i'll tell you that's why i never don't ever really want to interview him because i'd be scared (laughs) we'll start with you rachel reeves do you have any final thoughts on halloween i mean what can you say it's an OG. It's mm-hmm. it's hugely influential. It's one of those things that like you could play that theme, go out in public and be like, what movie is this from? What movie is yeah. this from? What do you think of? And like people, it, you will know it. It's, like, it's transcended into mm-hmm. something else entirely. And I think that that's just such a rare and amazing thing. I don't know. I just am continuously in awe of movies and just the magic that it takes to make any film, big or small. And when you hear these stories about how it all comes together and you hear about the situations that are involved, it's just pretty incredible this is a great musical example of that. And I mean, he's still cranking out scores and I that's it's just rad. <laughs> I think this set the standard for horror movies, but also kind of set the standard for um, independent films. What was the mask? It was William Shatner, just an old, yeah. old, old mask down at the Halloween <laughs> store. Uh, spray paint it and make a horror film, and it can be the greatest thing of all time. A very, very simple score. A guy who doesn't really know music very well 
pounds on a synth and hits a couple keys on a keyboard. It's a classic and it's seriously impressive that so much came from so little and this went on to influence. You could pretty much say every every horror film that came after it. Oh man, I, I think anytime that you can instill fear in a human for as many years as that little piano ditty has in me, you've you've hit something. Right. <laughs> I've seen this film multiple times and I still find new things in it that are creepy or interesting or Oh, that influenced this down the road. Mm. It's iconic. Being named Halloween, this really put the mark on there being scary movies being a thing at Halloween time. Outside of like The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, I can't think of anything else that's put a mark on this time of year as being the time for horror movies. Think of like haunted houses, the haunted corn mazes. Like I feel like an entire industry of entertainment owes its inception to this film. Jamie Lee Curtis smoking a joint to Don't Fear the Reaper. I'm a big fan. We have one thing left to do, and then I'm going to let the Rachels and the Jimmies go to bed. We did it last year. We're doing it again. Rachel Polio, Mary Fuck Kill. Gosh. Mary Halloween, Fuck Studio 666. <laughs> obviously <laughs> uh kill demons marry two people fuck 666 okay uh depends on the state <laughs> evil this is gonna be a hard one for it you it is gonna be a hard one for me i wasn't prepared for this <laughs> merry halloween it's timeless classic i have to say that of the three movies the biggest jump scare of them all was fucking lionel richie in studio 666 we didn't even talk about lionel yes! richie we didn't even so talk about fuck lionel. studio 666 i loved lionel richie oh my god hello yeah. oh, that was love, so, that was amazing it's my fucking song i will kill demons because i know they're gonna keep coming back and i can kill yeah. them again <laughs> Just got to put on the mask. <laughs> I will go next. This is actually because I'm going off of the scores. I'm going to cheat just like evil did. So I'm actually going to marry the demons score because I am completely in love with it right now. <laughs> I'm going to fuck the Dream Widow album, not the score for Studio 6, but the Dream Widow album because I am in lust with it right now. And then I am going to kill Halloween because you can't really kill Michael Myers, so he's just going to come That's back. cheating. Um, <laughs> Rachel Reeves, what you got? Yeah, Merry Halloween. There's there's some stability there. And, um, got that John Carpenter money. That's true. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, not just a longevity thing, but also, like, that cash money thing. Like, <laughs> that franchise is still raking it in. So, you know, I'm set for life. So that's cool. And that allows me to, on the side, to fuck demons like whenever I want. So that's cool. <laughs> because, you know, that fuels my Coke and a Coke habit. And coke, like, and. coke and a Coke. Yeah, Coke and a Coke and fucking demons. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, sorry, Dave, I'm going to have to kill Studio 666. It was good, good time, but some, somebody's got to go. <laughs> somebody's got to go. <laughs> that's it. That's our Halloween episode, everybody. Rachel Polio, thank you for joining us on a Tuesday night. Evil, I hope you had fun. I did. I have one year to like seriously put in time in the woodshed on my Austin Powers impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> what was it again? So I was like, hey, hey, baby. baby. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I'll, I'll watch the game film and see how bad it was. <laughs> 
Rachel Rees, same as last year. You're amazing. It is very, very helpful for us to have someone that actually knows what they're doing on here. <laughs> so appreciate you coming. All three of us honestly talk throughout the entire year about how excited we are for this, mm -hmm. doing this episode. It's it's so Anytime. fun. Thank you. I love it. Versecoursefirst.com, at versecoursefirstpod. Thank you, everybody listening. Hope you had fun. Go do some trick-or-treating. Join us next week while we do a, uh, is it a 10 out of 10? We basically just talk about lyrics for two hours long. Thanks, everybody. Good night and good luck. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.